Before I get started, uh, you're probably wondering why I called this little small gathering together this morning. <laughs> For you that are brave this weather, thank you. And um, I certainly hope by the time you get back out there, it'll all turn to rain and it'll be an easy breezy ride home. But if not, please, please, please be careful. Uh, you know, it's not worth it trying to take some kind of big risk. First service, I completely forgot this announcement. I was supposed to do a special announcement about an event we have coming up called VisionCast 2018. So uh, I'll remember it this time. Uh, I did it at the end of the service last time, so I did get it in. But on February the 24th, that's a Saturday, 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m., we're having a meeting, and, and just out of curiosity, uh, how many of you in here, you serve, you help out, you volunteer in any way, shape, or form? Can I see your hands real quick? It's the same thing in the first service, the, the largest percentage. We, we just did a recent survey. We have like around 700 people in this church that serve or help out in some way. So what we're doing, yeah, it's extraordinary. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. <laughs> Statement for a church, a bunch of servants. So uh, this year, though, uh, we are inviting everyone that's involved in any way that's on any of these serving ministries. If you're a volunteer serving anywhere, we're inviting you to come out to this vision cast. Uh, I'd love to see about 700 of those. It'd be great. And I really, really do have some very special things to share with you, uh, you that do come out, because we're, we're going to take some risks and do some things in this coming year that we have not done the likes of since we've entered into this building. So I'm very, very excited about it. The other thing I'll be doing is kind of giving a history of how we got from, um, or how we got here from where we started from. So if you can possibly schedule that and be out, um, I, I promise it'll be worth your while. All right, we'll continue in our series. And um, each week I've said this, that, you know, my, my under uh, undercurrent of this whole this whole series has been not just to give us a, a guidance to how we can tell if something is good for us or not, as important as that is, but to try to correct some deficiencies about uh, how we relate to our Creator. And there seems to be this, this idea that's so prevalent in, in a lot of churches, unfortunately, that uh, what God really is looking for is for you or I to do some religious things, you know, to either believe a certain body of truths and then he'll say, oh, I'll check you off on the list and you're okay. Or it might be to light some candles or recite some prayers or go on a pilgrimage or give some money. But, but we're, we're supposed to do something religious to please God and that that's, that's all he would be interested in. And when you really think this through, this, this would make God a, a pretty ignorant being, you know, that he really doesn't care about the way we live the rest of our life, but that's not the way he's depicted at all in Scripture. He's depicted as this comprehensively loving being who actually cares about each and every area of our life, who knows what is best for us in every area and wants what is best for us, but waits for our compliance. He desperately wants us to return to him in trust and then to willingly dig into his words so that we can learn his will and his ways and let it shape and mold our life. That's real Christianity. Nothing less is real. So if you're sitting here, and, and, and this is always the possibility that you have this notion that, you know, you, I don't know, maybe you said a prayer or you went forward in a meeting or you had this set of beliefs, you know, you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again, and you think that that's it. That's all God's interested in. I'm here to tell you he is interested in you reconnecting with him in trust so that your entire life by your free choice comes under his loving leadership 
because that's the only way that he can actually bless us. He's an intelligent being. He loves us. It's intelligent relational love, and it's something we can understand. Not mystical, you know, not, not religious at all. It's relational, not religious. Okay, now to get us more, you know, on the, the exact cycle of this series. Each week I've shared this concept with you. We've all learned experientially not everything that initially seems good to me is ultimately what? Good for me. You know, we experiment with stuff. Things look good. They look pleasurable. Maybe they are pleasurable in the beginning. Maybe they're fun. And then we find out later on, boy, there's some hidden consequences. So we learn. I can't always trust myself. I I might think something is good for me. I might conclude. I might logically reason my way through this is good for me, but ultimately it may not be. I am finite. God is infinite. I don't always know what's good for me. Now, when I live knowingly or even unknowingly in accord with my design, it is good for me. So this is how we determine what's good for us. Of course, whatever God says is good for us is good, but he's not arbitrary. He doesn't just make things up. He has designed us in a certain way, and when we live in accord with our design, it is always, always, always good for us. And if we wonder what is that design, well, it says in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that God made us in his own image. So I am meant to be a being that thinks and feels and functions just like God. My conscience is is going to react to things the way God's would. And, And so I'm a complex being, but my design is to be like God. Therefore, the more that I'm living in according with my design, which is the very image of God, the better it is for me. It's good for me. That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy immediately. It doesn't mean the circumstances are not always always going to go my way. It just means that ultimately we will see it's good for us. All right, today we, we take on the topic of are my hobbies, diversions, recreation good for me? You know, we kind of live in a very unique time. Uh, we are immersed in an entertainment culture. And so we, we have to sort of contemplate these things on a much higher, more sophisticated level. And I'll expand this a bit in a, uh, as the message goes on than any other group that's ever lived. But let me just, just start off, get you uh, thinking a little bit personally. Have you ever done in inventory on yourself, and I, and I mean this sincerely, have, have you ever said, you know, I want to see how many hours a week in an average week I'm actually spending on these things? And, and so it might go like this, you know, how many hours a week do I actually spend listening to music? And you just kind of write it down. Uh, you say, how many hours a week do I actually spend on uh, TV, watching TV? And you kind of write that down. You say, how many hours a week do I actually spend on social media? Write that down. How many hours a week do I actually spend on maybe video gaming? You write that down. Just curious. How many have ever done any kind of survey inventory on yourself like this? Okay, okay, some have. Well, they, they did a survey in Rolling Stone, and here's what they believe is average of most of us today in these particular areas. So if you look at music, they said that most of us uh, listen to about 11 hours a week of music. Uh, they found that we listen to about or we watch about eight hours of TV. You know, and again, you can kind of think of where you fit into some of these things. When it came to social media, that that we spend about 4.4 hours a week on social media. And um, video games, about 2.8, almost three hours a week on that. So when you calculate all these and add them together, it comes up to over 24 hours. Now, here's what this means. The average person, the average person spends about 24 hours. Now, how many of you guys, um, you sleep? at all. Can I see your hands? You, you sleep. You do know what sleep is. Okay. So that means that about eight hours a day, 
you're unconscious with your mouth hanging open, okay? So you're only active 16 hours. But this is a whole 24 hours that we're indulging in um, TV or listening to music or uh, social media or video games. Now, we, we could greatly add to this list. There's all kinds of things that, that we have uh, opportunities to engage in today. You know, it could be hunting and fishing or it could be all kinds of other entertainment-oriented things. But this is not to, to point a finger in anybody's eye. It's just to get a starting point to this unique time that we live in. In other words, well, I'm, I'm not saying this is wrong if you are average in this or if you're even more than average. I, I'm, I'm going to talk about what I think are some good guidelines because we must figure out how to navigate through this unique time that we live in. There's a guy named Michael Crichton, and I quoted him a little while back. Uh, he's an author. Actually, he uh, was deceased recently. But he said something about the unique age we live in, and I think he was right on target. He said, today everybody expects to be, and what is the word? Entertained. You know, you, you talk to people at the workplace or kids in school. It's got to be fun. It's got to be fun. You got to, are you having fun? That's the thing that really counts. It's kind of pervasive. Today, everybody expects to be entertained, and they expect to be entertained all the time. Everybody must be amused, or they will switch, switch brands, switch channels, switch parties, switch loyalties. This is the intellectual reality of Western society today. In other centuries, human beings wanted to be saved or improved or freed or educated, but now they want to be entertained. The great fear is not of disease or death, but of boredom. And, and I think Crichton was on to something. I mean, it just seems to be the question that people ask today, am I having fun? And, and because of that, please don't take me as some, you know, old crank when I say what I'm going to say, but, but truly, it's safe to say that we live in, I'm not saying that we are, but we live in a hedonistic culture. And if you're not sure what a hedonistic means, hedonism is a philosophy where you consider the highest good in life to have pleasure. It doesn't mean like you're the Marquis de Sade, and, and that's not like a guy that plays for the NBA. That's somebody, some of you know and some of you don't, but it just means that you, all things considered, you think that pleasure is the highest good. In other words, when you face a situation and ask the question, is this good for me? The question you ask is, am I having fun? Does this amuse me? Does this bring me pleasure? If, it's, if I'm having fun, if it's amusing me, if it's bringing me pleasure, then it's good for me. This is the way our society in general thinks today. I'm not saying you do. I'm just saying this is the world we actually live in. Now, because of this, it makes it very, very complex for us. Because we are truly, truly, you know, you hear this stuff all the time. They tell kids this stuff all the time in school. You're unique. You know, yeah, you're unique. Out of 7 billion people, you are. And, but we are. But we are unique in one respect. There has never been a generation on the earth like ours. Uh, when you look through the, the, the times in history, there's about 108 billion people, they estimate, that have ever lived and died on this planet. And we are in an elite percentage, about 96, 97% of the people that ever lived and died on this planet. They never even had electricity. No indoor plumbing, no technology, nothing. We were born with this stuff. We don't even understand existence without it. We are kind of like the, the fish that's born in Walmart in the goldfish bowl, and we are born in the goldfish bowl, and we live in We don't even know that we're supposed to be in a river or an ocean or something like that. We, all we know is the bowl. We've always been in the bowl. And so... We are this strange, elite group of human beings on the planet immersed in this entertainment uh, technological culture. And, and this is critical for you to understand the truth of the matter, what, what's really, truly behind us. We just introduced a new song this morning. 
come, even so, come, Lord Jesus, come, about the second coming of Christ. Listen, you can take this one to the bank, gang. And I've done enough studies. You can look at the Bible Institute online. You can look at Bible series I've done. I've spent four, over 40 years of my life studying this stuff from Scripture, not gut feelings, Scripture. We are, most of you are going to live to see the second coming of Christ. We are that generation. And because of that, we, we have two things going on simultaneously. Number one, we are experiencing the greatest luxury that human beings have ever experienced on the planet. No generation of, of people on the planet has ever experienced the kind of luxury that you and I just count as normal. You, you see, if you wonder what I mean is this. Let, let's just pretend you're, a, you're the emperor of Rome back in Jesus' day, okay? You'd have to get in a slow chariot if you wanted to go somewhere. If you wanted to get cool on a hot day, you had to have somebody fanning you like this. Now, what do you do? Even, you know, most Americans that consider themselves not wealthy at all. You have a car. You can speed up and down the highway. You turn on an air conditioning system or at least a fan or something like that. We are the wealthiest people. You've got to get this because we're born in that bowl. We don't know how wealthy we are. We are the wealthiest people that the earth, all generations, 108 billion people have ever seen. But we don't know it because we've always had it. At the same time, we are the most tempted group of human beings that have ever been on the planet. Because this entertainment culture, and again, I'm not saying it's all bad. You've got to hear me out on this message. But this entertainment culture that we live in, it is pervasive. We cannot escape it. It's everywhere. It's all the time. It's powerful. It's beautiful. It's seductive. But it's also dangerous. And no other group of people on the planet have ever had to face this kind of temptation. So we have the most luxury, the most temptation. We are, we are the generation that's going to see the world change forever. Now, having said that, Christ followers, Christians, usually take one of two basic approaches to this whole subject of how, how do we navigate in a world that is so entertainment-oriented, recreation-oriented. And by the way, the word recreation is a good one. You think about it. It is we are to be recreated. We need times where we just you know, kick back and do something that we enjoy, and it's meant to recreate us. In other words, it's meant to restore us, to refresh us, to get our, our engine recharged, our energy level up, to balance us. It's good. It, it's something, you know, that God has intended. But it's something that can get out of balance. And so usually the approach that is taken on this subject, it's usually one or two extremes. There are some uh, they call themselves Christians. They just say, hey, this isn't a non-issue. I mean, whatever you want to do with the entertainment culture, however much time you want to spend in it, however what degree you're immersed in it, it doesn't matter. That's just your thing. It's not evil. It just is. It's just something you like to do. That's one approach. Now, the other approach is the opposite. And here's the way it's usually presented. It's kind of like, okay, so you spend, you know, like 11 hours average listening to music. And you spend like eight hours average watching TV and you spend like 4.4 hours social media and you spend like, you know, 2.8 hours on video gaming. Well, let me ask you this. How many hours did Jesus spend on any of those things? And you're like, oh, shoot, that's uncomfortable. He didn't spend any. What the heck am I doing, you know? I mean, when I first hear something like that, I'm like, oh, shoot, am I way, way, way off? Because it's true, Jesus didn't spend any time on any of that stuff. I mean, he didn't even spend a minute on it. But it's a misapplication of scripture. How many of you drive cars? Can I see your hands? Do you know that Jesus didn't spend any time at all driving a car? He also didn't spend any time at all in indoor plumbing. Okay, this is a misapplication of scripture. Just because Jesus didn't do something, 
It doesn't mean that we should not do it. So when you get into this whole subject, it's complex, and you have to look at it from kind of a wide angle, and you have to get some, some principles to guide you through it and to guard you because there is no easy answer. And escapism from the system, well, you can do that, I suppose, if you want to be Amish or something like that, but they barely escape. But most of us, we are here. And, and, and let me say something I said in the first service. Listen, truth be told, God sovereignly chose to place you and I at this time in history. We are a privileged generation. Privileged because we are going to see, most of us are going to see the return of Christ. He could have just as easily put me or you down in medieval times. You know what I mean? But he didn't. He, he put us here in this, this culture that is so sophisticated and, and full of entertainment. And, and, and I, for one, I'm glad he didn't put me down in medieval times. Who wants to be in those times where it's like a one bath a year and no deodorant society? I don't, I'm not all about that. You know, I'm glad I'm here at the shower when you want and deodorant is available society, you know. But it's also a society in which we face very sophisticated temptation that no other generation has ever faced. Now, God never puts his people into circumstances that he doesn't equip us to face. So we are utterly equipped to move through this, to be successful, to be effective for Christ and his kingdom. Let me go further. We can take this stuff, this entertainment culture, and we can use it for great advantage to the kingdom of God and to serve him. So, so this, this doesn't have to be an evil. It's just a matter, we gotta figure out our own pacing we've got to figure out our own combination because it's meant to refresh us relax us make us better at serving God and serving others and, and if you find that combination it's good and it can even be used evangelistically so so please don't misread me that I'm like it all or nothing uh, on this particular subject because I really truly don't believe that's the answer okay let me go fast what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through four portions of scripture now and what they are meant to be is is kind of anchoring principles they are principles that if we internalize these and live them out regularly, um, they will guide us in this difficult society and time, and they'll guard us simultaneously. So if we prioritize these overarching principles, I'm going to share with you four overarching principles. If we prioritize them, we'll be anchored, and no matter how hard the push of the entertainment culture, we'll retain our anchoring, you know, our moorings won't drift. All right, let me, let me look at the first principle. A man asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said to him, hey, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It goes on. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Jesus is saying, listen, you want to you ask what's the most important thing to focus on in life? that your love for God be supreme and your love for God be grown. You know what is normal for a human being? It is normal for a human being to have the most intense devotion to God compared to any other relationship in life. That's normal. When we're fully human and fully alive and really healthy, loving God first and supremely is normal because we're, we're built, we're designed to love what is the most lovely, the most worthy of adoration and admiration, and God is that. So, if I get this fixed in my mind that every day of my life, no matter what else is going on, no matter what other, what other uh, opportunities I have for spending time with my life or energy in my life, I've got to be growing every day. Is, is my love for Christ actually growing? Is my love for people actually growing? Because that's who I am. I am here on a developmental journey to love God more deeply, to love others more deeply. If I hang on to that principle, that will anchor me. And it was interesting that Jesus said all the rest of the commandments 
in the Old Testament that, that they're all summed up in these. You know, when we love God with all our heart and we love our neighbors ourselves, we obey all the other commandments. They, they are just applications of uh, how do you love God and people in various environments. Second principle. Jesus said this, he said, seek, and it doesn't mean like, hey, where's it at, where's it at? He, he's saying, devote yourself, you know, put some energy. Seek the kingdom of God above what? All else, that's clear, that's priority. That's above my vocation, that's above every, you know, entertainment thing that I do. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, live the way I'm designed, live the way God says is right, and he will give you everything you need. It's a great promise. So how do we do this? How, how do we make this a governing, anchoring principle? It means that every day of my life, first of all, I want God's kingdom to be expressed through me. I'm going to be obedient to his word and will so that people that meet me can see his kingdom lived out in my life. I am to be an expression of his kingdom. But the second part is equally important. I'm going to look for opportunities every second of my life to expand his kingdom and that means that I'm going to be seeking the furtherance of his kingdom. I'm going to be seeking to build bridges with others and try to invite and invest in people and help them be reconciled to God. That's how God's kingdom is expanded. So seeking the kingdom is expressing it in your own lives and expanding it through reaching out to others. Third governing principle. Ephesians 2.10 we have become his poetry, a recreated people. When we return to Christ in trust and faith and become his followers, we're new people. We're recreated. We're born again. We're regenerated. There's all kinds of terms used in scripture. We go from light, from darkness to light, from death to life, all these kinds of things. They all mean the same thing. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us. You have a God-given destiny. I have a God-given destiny. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. That's what the Christ means, the anointed one. Even before we were born... Get this, before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. And I don't get the destiny thing wrong. It's not like he decided who's going to be uh, placed in this kingdom and who's going to be excluded. It has nothing to do with that. It means this, that he decided in advance knowing perfectly who you are, what your experiences are, what kind of equipment he's given you, what kind of talents, what kind of intellect, what kind of spiritual gifts. He looked at that whole thing and said, you know, you're perfectly designed for this set of good works. You're destined for those. And as you do those, you gotta get this, as you do those good works, you develop, you become the Christ-like version of yourself you're meant to be, and you do extend the kingdom of God, and you do express the kingdom of God. So here's a third principle. It's I've got to do the things God created me to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, seek the kingdom of God. Express it, expand it. Then I need to do those things that God has destined and equipped me to do that nobody else can do. Fourth principle, real quick. This will continue, this whole process, these principles that I mentioned, this will continue until we're all united by our faith and by our understanding of the Son of God. Then we will be what? What does it say? Mature. But what, what is maturity? How do, how do I know when I'm mature? Just as Christ is, and we will be, what does it say? Completely like him. This is, this is where the church of Christ has got to wake up. We say these dumb things like, oh, nobody's perfect. You know, we're just forgiven. 
You know, and, and we limit ourselves. If you don't shoot at the target that God has given you, you're never going to hit it. Listen, you have, I have the capacity for miraculous change. I can change. I can change dramatically. You can change dramatically. I am destined to mature, to develop, to grow progressively, to actually become like Christ. I'm going to be Randy. You're going to be you, but you're going to be a Christ-like version of you. If I keep these four principles that I've just shared with you now, if I keep these as overarching principles and I prioritize them, I don't care what our entertainment culture may surround us with, immerse us in, uh, tempt us with, we will do well. We'll be fine. We will be able to use it to recreate ourselves, to get the recreation we need, but it will not destroy or diminish our souls nor our effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Now, when I moved up here in 1980, uh, I had lived in Southeast Washington uh, the early part of my life from 1950 to 1980, and I came up here, you know, like in, you know, Frederickland. This was new territory to me, man. I was a city dude. And so I was driving up Route 15, and uh, right by Rest Haven there, I was going north, I noticed this sign. Okay, this is like 1981. This was the sign. This was right at Rest Haven. Caution. You are about to enter one of the most dangerous highways in the nation. How many remember that sign? Yeah, a bunch of people in the first service did. And they actually used to have the number of deaths that had occurred on this stretch, stretch of the highway since 1976. It was on the sign, actually. So I'm going to tell you something. When I seen that, that sign, it totally got my attention. I mean, I went buggy-eyed, man. I was like 10 and 2, you know. I was like... <laughs> I survived Southeast Washington for 30 years. These hillbillies aren't going to kill me. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I'm just being honest. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's going to happen on this highway. Somebody's going to come across with a washboard or something, but <laughs> I'm going to be watching. <laughs> but the serious point to the thing is, all kidding aside, it made me very cautious. And, uh, and, you know, it is, it is a dangerous stretch of highway, uh, even still not nearly as dangerous as it was. The next part of the message deals with that. I want to give you confidence as a follower of Christ. We don't have to be afraid of this entertainment culture and all of its sophistication and seductive power as long as we are anchored to those principles that I mentioned and as long as we now have some cautionary principles to operate under. We do need caution. You know, we, we dare not... Uh, go forward and think that there isn't a lot of power in our culture today because there is a lot of power. So I'm going to give you some principles about uh, how we can utilize these cautionary principles to navigate through this and come out well. Let me give you a couple passages from Luke. It's a place where Jesus was speaking in parables and he's talking about how the word of God was like seed. It says, now the parable means this, the seed is the word of God. The one sown on good soil, they hear the word and they receive it, and they bear fruit. By bearing fruit, it means they become progressively who they were meant to become, and they do what they were meant to do. That's bearing fruit, okay? So it says, they hear, they receive it, and they bear fruit. One, 30 times as much. One, 60, one, 100. Jesus is just trying to show that we grow at different rates. Some of us, let's be honest, we're more devoted than others, and we, we grow uh, pertaining to that, that devotion. All right, it goes on. It says, as for the seed, and he gives four different types of seed. As for the seed that fell among the thorns... These are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are, what is the word? Choked. You know how thorns will overgrow, you know, something and just choke the life out of it. You maybe are trying to grow some vegetables or something, and the thorns just get in there, the weeds get in there and choke the life out. 
As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked. Now what chokes the life of the word so that it doesn't become fruitful in them? They're choked by the worries and the riches. And what's the next word? Pleasures of life. Okay? It doesn't mean that the pleasures of life are evil. It just means that if you indulge too much in them, they choke out the life of God's word so that the transforming power never shows itself. Uh, and their fruit does not mature. In other words, we only have so much time, we only have so much energy, we only, only have so much talent, we only have so much money. And so I'm gonna be devoting my time and my talent and my treasure, my energy, my passion to something. If it's all devoted, let's say, to the entertainment culture I live in, there's not gonna be anything left for God and his purposes in my life. If, if, I, don't, if I don't keep fixed in my mind what is the purpose for my existence? And I repeat this to the point that I'm sure some of you feel like, oh, if he says that another time, I'm going to vomit. I don't care. <laughs> because here's what I know. If you don't have firmly fixed in your mind and heart what your purpose is, your God-given purpose, it is inevitable that we will misspend our lives. We will call certain things good. We'll think it's good for us when it's not good for us. And we'll tend to waste our life. So here it is. I'll say it again. I've, I've sloganized it through the years because I so want people to know this. You and I, our God-given purpose is to become who Christ intended us to become and do what he intended us to do. That's it every day of my life. I can ask, wait a minute. I'm in this situation. How can I become more like Christ? What can I do? What good can I do here? This guides and governs and guards me. But if, if you don't know your purpose for being here, you're going to, by default, become hedonistic like the rest of our society and say, hey, man, I'm just here to have some fun as long as I can. That's it. And we'll miss the point of our existence. And, and so these, these are things that I don't mind repeating. And, and I'll tell you another reason why I repeat them over and over again, because churches don't teach this. I don't know why. I've never understood it, but they don't. They give, they give a thousand little splinters of truth, but they never give the overarching picture so that people can grasp it, internalize it, sloganize it, and live it out. So if, if I you know, irritate you with repeating this stuff, it's okay as long as you get it. All right. So the point of that parable, Jesus is saying, is that we can get distracted. Even though God's word is in us and, and we're clear about what our purpose and destiny is, other things start to steal our time, steal our attention, steal our affection, steal our money, all these things. And, and we, we go adrift. We just a little bit drift and drift and drift until we never become who God meant us to become or do what he meant us to do. That's the point of that parable. Let me give you an example. And this is not meant to poke fun at one particular uh, age group because this can absolutely be true of each and every one of us in this room. Okay, But there's an article about millennials, and, and, and I know... People poke fun at millennials all the time, but that's not my intent here. The New York Post recently stated, millennials are choosing pizza, push-ups, and video games over church. A 22-year-old named Alex, who claims he had a positive experience, notice that, a positive experience being raised in a church. Still, he left organized religion after high school, describing himself as spiritual, but not religious. That is very common to hear people say that today. Now, video... Now, video games offer him the same solace without the deep fear of going to hell. He says, by connecting him digitally to a community of other players, many of whom are his good friends. You get a community of like-minded people sharing a life or sharing life away from the harsher realities of the world. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not even saying it's bad for this guy necessarily to be involved in some kind of gaming community. What I am saying is, look what's happened here. Look what's happened. He, he has somehow traded the community that he was supposed to experience amongst the people of God 
with, with our entertainment culture. It, is, it has taken the place. It, it has become sort of like an idol to him. It, it's, it's, it's become a suitor, a competitor with God. And, and he doesn't see any problem with it because he's the goldfish in the bowl. He's been born in this culture. And he, he doesn't really see that it's a problem at all. So we have to be realistic about this. Any of us can drift like this and feel like, hey, this is meeting my needs. I, I don't, you know, I don't really see the need for that whole church scene because th- this, is, this is doing what I need it to do for me. Listen to this verse from 1 Corinthians 10, 14. And it might sound a little bit ridiculous in our day and age, but it says, my cherished friends, keep on, keep on running far away from what? Idolatry. And we're like, what's that have to do with us today? I mean, you know, like back in biblical times, yeah, they got together at temples and worshiped these statues and things and had all kind of wicked festivals and things around them. But, but we don't worship hunks of stone or anything. They don't, why should I have to keep on running from idolatry? Well, you need to understand, Scripture talks about idolatry in different forms. For example, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, he said that, that, you know, a person can only serve either God or money. You can't serve both. He says you can't serve two masters. So here Jesus compared money to a suitor or a competitor with God. In the book of Colossians in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, 5, he said that we have to rid ourselves of greed, which he says is idolatry. So how is greed idolatry? How is commitment to money makes it impossible to be committed to Christ. So, so money or materialism seems to be some sort of a suitor or competitor. So, so what, do, what do I mean by idol? What, is, what does an idol represent for you and I today in this unique time that we live in history? Well, let me, let me break it down for you. What is an idol? Anything that takes the position of influence that only God should have in our lives. It can be a person, place, or thing. But if it starts influencing us in a way that God alone should influence us, whether we call it an idol or aware of it as an idol or not, it is an idol. Anything that we are deriving our sense of significance, security, and satisfaction from. In other words, if we're deriving, let's say it's from our gaming or, or, or our you know, Facebook page or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Uh, our knowledge of music, I mean, it can be any, any old thing at all. But if we're deriving our sense of significance, man, I, I know so much about this that it makes me feel kind of good, or our security or our satisfaction, that thing has taken the place of God because we're supposed to get our sense of significance or value, esteem, self-worth from God. How do you get it? He created me. I don't have to prove anything to anybody, neither do you. He loves you enough to create you in his own image. And then he died for you. That's how much you are worth. You don't have to prove anything to yourself or to anyone else. What about security? I'm secure because Christ created me, and if I trust him and follow him fully and freely forever, he promises eternal life to me in a, in a world, a kingdom that my heart has always longed for. What about satisfaction? He promises that every desire of my heart won't be all fulfilled in this life, but it'll be fulfilled forever in a perfect form. So we're supposed to derive these things from, from God, but we can get them from money to a certain degree. Hey, man, if you have enough money in your pocket, you can feel pretty darn important. There's your sense of significance. You have enough money in your pocket, you can feel pretty darn secure. Oh, man, I got money stored up for years and years, and I don't care what happens in society until your brainwave just clicks and you're gone, but we don't think about that. And then sometimes satisfaction, you've got enough money, you can buy anything you want, any pleasure you want. So money becomes a competitor, an idol in the place of God, but it doesn't have to be money. It can be anything. It can be, it can be sports. It can be hunting, fishing. It, it can be music. It can be anything. 
can be an idol. That's why we need these guidelines. The last point is, is particularly, I think, important. Anything that has captured our deepest affection and arouses our deepest enthusiasm. In, in other words, it's that thing that we love. We can't wait to get to it. We can't wait to have time to focus on it. And, and it makes us excited, man. Our, our heart beats a little bit. We love doing it, listening to it, being a part of it. Be careful. Because that's the way we should feel about God. That's the way we should feel about uh, his word. That's the way we should feel about gathering with his people. I want to tell you something. I, I, I've been following Christ since I was 23 years old. My affection and enthusiasm for him are as high or higher now than they were when I first started. Why? Because he doesn't change. Everything about him continues to just stun me and amaze me. And, and because I'm made in his image, I can appreciate the ultimate beauty that he is and the ultimate goodness, and so can you. So we're meant to be excited about that which is highest, which is God and his will and his ways, not these lesser things. So be careful if your heart's beating extra fast about some of these entertainment things, but it's beating slow when it comes to the things of God. You do it kind of dutifully and monotonously, be careful, because that could be a sign that an idol has snuck its way into your or my life, and it can happen to any of us. Let me share one more principle with you. 1 Corinthians 6 says this. Paul speaking, he says, it's true that our freedom allows us to do anything. By that, he just means we have the ability to do or not to do things. We have free will given to us by God. But that doesn't mean that everything we do is good for us. I can do something. It doesn't mean it's good for me. I'm free to do as I choose, but I choose never to be, what does it say? Enslaved by anything. When I'm looking at my my interaction in the entertainment culture, I've got to ask myself that tough question. Am I hooked on this thing? Am, am I getting hooked on this thing? Can, can, can I let this thing alone? Can I stay away from it? Can I walk away from it? Or does this thing have a hook on me? Is it, has it become habituated? Am I maybe addicted to it? Because that's not where God wants us. He wants us to be free. We ought to be able to walk away from any kind of our recreational uh, involvements. So it's a good principle to guard our hearts. One more from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul says, be careful, however, not to let your freedom of action make those who are weak in the faith fall into sin. In other words, we may participate in this entertainment culture in some way that doesn't bother us at all. It may actually recreate us, refresh us, but we have to be careful about how it impacts those around us. And a dramatic example of this was given by a lady named Catherine Adair. I'll share shares with you, psychologist Catherine Adair. She says, children of all ages, 2, 15, 18, 22, look at the span of ages. Let this sink in. They use the same phrases, 2-year-olds and 22-year-olds, the same phrases to talk about how hard it is for them to get their parents' what? Attention. When they need it, they can't get their parents' attention when they need it. Here's how they express their feelings. Sad, angry, mad, frustrated. These kids were sad, angry, mad, and frustrated because they couldn't get their parents' attention. They were complaining that their parents were focused on what? Can, can you say it a little louder? What's that word? Screens. She continued, like a child's chorus of all ages talking about this new sibling rivalry, only it's not a new member of the family, it's a new screen. It's a, can we say it together? Device. Man, you gotta, you gotta push back from this occasionally and ask yourself, 108 billion people walk the earth. 
We're the first ones walking around like this. <laughs> Be careful. I'm not saying don't use it. It wasn't the intent of this message. I don't think it's helpful. I'm just saying, be careful. We're, we're, we're dealing with very powerful things, and it is crippling some of us. It's making us very abnormal. It's depriving our kids. We're hurting weaker people. What kind of message does this give to weaker people, meaning children in particular? If we're like this, and, and we're saying, oh, this must be a good way to live. Just stay like this, you know, or, 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 or some other thing that we might be involved in. You know, so we just have to be aware. How is my involvement with the entertainment culture which may not be directly harmful to me but how might it be harmful to those that are weaker that are looking up to me for guidance and a value system and and a way to make decisions and invest their lives yeah we just have to at least think about this It's, it's just meant to be a cautionary set of principles is what it's about one verse that just kind of kind of covers the whole overarching thing it says so whether we eat or drink or whatever you do Do everything for the glory of God. Which means, again, you and I can take this entertainment culture, use it to get our refreshment, to have some fun, to get ourselves back into the best condition to serve God and to serve others. We can use it that way. You can master this. God intends you to master it. We don't have to bury our heads in the sand. We don't have to become almost people or anything like that. But we got to be cautious. We have to be realistic. One last one. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says, so my dear brothers, stand strong. You don't tell somebody to stand strong unless there's something that's maybe going to drag you along or push you aside. Stand strong. Do not let anything move you. We can't let this culture of ours move us and overtake us. Always, that's a big word, always, give yourselves how much? What is the word? Fully to what? The work of the Lord. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Why should I do this? Why should I give myself always and why should I give myself fully to the work of the Lord? I don't even get paid for it for the most part. Most people don't. Most of you guys are volunteers. You serve your hearts out. Why? Why should you do this? You know that your work in the Lord is never wasted. Never. It will be eternally reimbursed. It matters. It changes life. It changes something on this sick planet of ours. It turns a thing or two at least beautiful that would otherwise be hideous. And you have the God-given power to do that, and I have the God-given power to do that. So the entertainment culture that we live in, we can't run from it, we can't hide from it, we can master it, and we should. Let me close the illustration from a movie that um, I shared with you before. I liked the movie. My wife hated the movie. I'm not sure why that is, but it's the movie Gravity. How many saw it, by the way? Sandra Bullock, George Clooney. You know, they're, they're, you know, futuristic people and they're you know taking a spacewalk tethered together and a bunch of space debris hits their capsule and all of a sudden they're floating into space just tethered to one another their oxygen is running out running out and and they're just they're doomed they're doomed that's their case so there was a german guy a german uh astronaut which i didn't even know the germans had astronauts and i'm still not sure i believe that but anyway his name was ulrich walter and he fact checked this film about what what would it really be like if you were drifting in space and your oxygen was running out what effect would it have on you and here's what he said when you're slowly running out of oxygen the same thing happens as does when you're in thin air at the top of a mountain everything seems funny as you're laughing about it you slowly nod off I experienced this phenomenon in an altitude chamber during my training as an astronaut at some point someone in the group starts cracking bad jokes a person who dies alone in space dies a cheerful death 
In other words, your situation's hopeless, you're slowly dying, but you think it's, what's the word? Funny. Here's the danger. We can experience the death of our influence, our impact, the death of our families, the death of our relationships, the death of our souls, the death of our spiritual vitality, all the while having one heck of a good time because there's so many toys to play with today and we have so much time to play with them and we're all going to make a choice and no one message is going to change anybody's life as much as I wish it would. We're going to all have to ponder this and we will and we'll invest our lives accordingly. My plea is save what God has given to you, treasure it, don't let it be stolen even if you're having a ball as you're wasting your life. It's not worth it. So, so how do we conclude some of this? Let, let me just give a couple quick suggestions that might be valid, might be helpful. Maybe not. You, you make the decision. Maybe some of us would benefit if we did one of those servant surveys, one of those inventories, and we, we started looking at, okay, how much time am I spent on TV? How much time am I spent on social media? How much listening to music? You know, all your various things, hunting, fishing, whatever it might be. I don't know. It doesn't matter what it is. You, you kind of calculate, and then you say, okay, how much time am I actually spending studying the Bible and being involved in Christian service or growth groups or something like that? And you just kind of weigh these things out. And you say, what are the things that kind of really get me excited? What are the things when I, when I have the time, I look forward to doing it? Is that God and stuff pertaining to him or is it something else? And ooh, what does that mean? So, so maybe we just need to try to monitor ourselves a little on this. And if we see that we need to make some course corrections, start figuring out how maybe we reschedule some things and deliberately schedule some things so that our time and energy will be invested differently. You know, these are just some suggestions it could be that some of us in here, you know as you sit here today, you know it, you know it, you know it, you know it. You're, you're already addicted to something. It might be innocent, but you're addicted to it. Part of our entertainment culture. God has something better for you. You shouldn't be that completely enslaved by something. It's dangerous. So whatever it takes, and you can do it, God will help you. You need to break free from that. There may be multiple individual decisions and some of them may be quite critical because here's the truth listen to this gang some of our diversions our innocent diversions our our enjoyment of our culture it's depriving our core god-given roles relationships and responsibilities if i'm a husband if i'm a, a father you know if if your wife your mother you've got some core roles and relationships and responsibilities and, and if if your or my involvement, investment in the entertainment culture is depriving those areas. That's a serious thing. And so this, I'm just giving you things that I hope will be helpful to guide you in thinking this through and making some wise decisions and going forward with some caution because this is not going to go away. It's only going to intensify. It's only going to get trickier. It's only going to get more pervasive. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you that in your great heart, you gave us the privilege to be alive at this time, at this, this critical generation. And we thank you for that, but we pray that you'll give us great strength, great courage, great balance, that we might use this culture for your kingdom and our good and not be uh, completely destroyed by it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.